Amen. Verse 32. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Hey man, where are you going with that colt? Why are you loosing the colt? It's, you know what I did one time? I, this ain't got nothing to do with Palm Sunday. But I got in the wrong person's truck. I thought I, I was, I was uh, getting in Reb's truck, and it was Mike Adair's truck. And old Mike come up, and he said, where are you going, Andy? And I said, well, I was going to drink. <laughs> I looked down, and I said, this ain't Reb's truck. He said, no, it's my truck. I said, okay, sorry about that. Why are you loosening the coat? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus. They threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now there's a couple of things we want to take from this this morning from a historical perspective. The first one is this was a common practice among dignitaries uh, as they entered a, a city. They would borrow an animal and ride in. This wasn't just a, a thing that was unique to the Lord doing it, but uh, others uh, did it also. If, uh, kings and, and very high dignitaries would do this. So this was a gesture in which the Lord was uh, getting the idea across to them that uh, he was royalty, if you will, which of course he was and is. The second thing was he was going uphill. It of uh, that's 17 miles between Jericho and Jerusalem. There's, that's a pretty steady grade. So he, uh, you know, rode the donkey instead of walking up the hill. Now, I'm sure the disciples walked up the hill, but he rode the donkey up into that. And then when he goes into town, uh, they begin to say, blessed is the king, which is an understanding. That's why the Pharisees got all tore up because they knew what they were saying. They were proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah as he enters into of Jerusalem. We call this the triumphal entry. As he enters, he, he has, as Bryn shared with you, he has his object in mind. He knows what he's going to do. He's made up his mind. He set his face like a flint. Now is the time, and I'm going to accomplish the purpose for which I came, and that was to save us. Amen. Why did Jesus do all that? To save us. So as he's coming in, they are uh, beginning to, to uh, they get loud. They're beginning to uh, praise him. They are beginning to uh, uh, glorify him, if you will. And they refer to him as the king who comes in the name of the Lord, which is from the Jewish mindset is a very uh, a clear message. We declare that you are the promised Messiah to Israel. We recognize you as such. Amen. Now, one of the things uh, of, of perspectives, if you will, concerning the Lord's entry and uh, the response of the people, there was an underlying uh, desire here that this uh, rabbi from Galilee, through whom the power of Almighty God was demonstrated, he's going to chunk these Romans out of here. 
Amen. You're the one, you can do it. You're going to get rid of these Romans. Jesus did not go to Jerusalem to get rid of the Romans. Jesus went to the Jerusalem to present himself a sacrifice that would satisfy the righteous judgment of a holy God on the sin of mankind. You know, and there are times when we perhaps want the Lord uh, to do one thing and it's his will to do another. He didn't come to Jerusalem to chunk the Romans. He came to Jerusalem to offer himself. But they are praising him, lifting him up. The Pharisees say, hey, teacher, rabbi, if you will, Tell your disciples to quit doing this. And then he makes a very interesting statement in this 40th verse. I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Or to put it in the amplification, he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Now, just dwell on that for a second. I don't want some rock taking my blessing. Now, I understand the need for reverence. I believe in, I was raised in a reverent congregation. Buddy, you didn't do, you didn't sneeze. You didn't cough. And you didn't go to the bathroom while the service was going on. It just didn't happen. I mean, I'm not being critical. I'm just saying that was the environment that, that I was raised in. But, beloved, there is nothing irreverent about praising the Lord. There is nothing irreverent about getting loud. Not for loud sake, but because there is an honest expression from the heart of a man, woman, boy, or girl to God for his goodness. Now, we do it in other uh, venues. If our, uh, Of course, the next time a, a ball team from Georgia wins, we'll all, you know, well, probably ain't going to happen. But we get excited in Georgia, you know. Hey, the Braves made the playoffs and lost. The Falcons went to the Super Bowl and blew the largest lead in the history of the Super Bowl. This is Choke City, boy. I mean, if you're a sports fan in this state, you can get. <laughs> Let's play Alabama. All right. But there is one in whom it is altogether fitting that we invest our praise enthusiastically, and that is Jesus. Not for the sake of just being loud, but because from our heart we should express to him thanksgiving that is sincere and honest. I'll take a real quick poll. You don't have to raise your hand, but I want to ask you a question. Has the Lord been good to anybody in this house I mean has the Lord been good to anybody in this house has he ever helped you I mean when you when you were you were holding on to that uh, that last thread if you will when uh, it was your last moment or when you looked at a situation that was completely and utterly hopeless something over which you had absolutely no control, and then you prayed. And after you prayed, the Lord intervened. And he did for you what you could not do for yourself. Has anybody got that testimony in this house this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. He is worthy 
to be praised. Hallelujah. I mean, I, you know, from an entire catalog of God's blessings, I go back to one specific incident that took place when my youngest son was born. He wasn't over a day old. Uh, we were still in the hospital. And the nurse comes into the room, tells Dorothy and I, well, as a matter of fact, Greg had, was on his way back to Atlanta. Uh, that's all family. I know many of you know, hey, who's Greg? Uh, you ever met Greg? You never, anyway. Greg was in there. And the nurse comes in and says, we're having trouble with the baby. And I'm like, what you talking about, trouble? Well, he quit breathing. He turned blue, and we're working with him. Well, that's the last thing I wanted to hear, you know. And she was, just, I mean, she was kind of ashen-faced herself. And that's all information she had to share with us. And she left. So I remember getting on the phone. It was a Sunday night. Church had already started. And uh, Brother John Caldwell answered the phone. I, and I explained the situation to Brother John. I said, please uh, let our family know that this is what's happening. So he went in, told Brother Tatum, uh, this is, you know, what's happening with Andy and Dorothy and the baby down at the hospital. Brother Tatum made the announcement. Had prayer. By the time he finished the prayer, the back door was going all the bowlings had left. And we were in a state of uncertainty about our son, who in all, you know, had died. But the Lord blessed him and answered the prayers of his people. And I remember when the, uh, after the nurse had left, I opened up my Bible. I had my Bible, in the, and it turned to the 111th Psalm. I will praise him in the congregation of the upright. And that verse seared into my mind. I will praise him in the congregation of the upright. Doctor come in, said, this is what's wrong with your baby. He's got this, 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 this. Went down a list of stuff. We had to leave him in the hospital, go home without him. Came back, and, and Ty was nine pounds when he was born. He's still fat anyway. <laughs> you never got over it. You have the, the pre, you know, premature babies in the, you know, in the baby ICU. Here's Ty. He, he looks like this giant, you know, and these four or five-pound babies are just nine-pound fat white child in there. But the next time we spoke with a doctor, he said, all of our tests have concluded that there's nothing wrong with him, and you can take him home. And for years on his birthday in church on Sunday morning, didn't I sit down? I would read the 111th Psalm. I will praise him in the congregation of the upright. What we do because we're humans and sin has messed us up, we forget the goodness of God. We're concerned about what's happening today, right now, right this moment. And the value of past blessings are lost on us. You see, the Lord is worthy to be praised today, 35 years later. That doesn't diminish his worthiness to be praised for what he has done. So this is what we're going to do today. I mean, this whole thing is, is just turned around different. And you don't have to. Uh, I mean, if you don't feel comfortable doing this, you don't have to do it. But uh, as many as us are, as are assembled this morning, 
And you would say, Brother Andy, I, the Lord has brought to my memory a specific blessing that I received from him. It may have happened yesterday. It may have happened 50 years ago. But you know, he is still worthy to be praised. I would like to invite you to stand with me as we lift our hands toward heaven and praise the Lord. Amen.